Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 9, The Remnant. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. Find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out 15. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. We ended last week's episode with Malachi's promise of the day of Yahweh, a day when everything gets put right and there's nothing left of the bad guys. It's imagery employed by Amos and Zephaniah especially, which we mentioned quite a while ago. Chronologically, someone else has recently used the term extensively, and it's high time we introduce him to you. Joel. Joel means Yahweh is God. Of course I like him. Joel is another prophet that gets lit up in this general vicinity after the remnant has been set up to carry the Abra plan forward. He addresses a time of agricultural devastation brought on by drought and swarms of locusts devouring everything in their path. Find those in Joel 1.20 and 1.4, respectively. As their grain is destroyed and their wine dries up and their oil fails, Joel calls the people to head to our rebuilt temple and cry out to me for help. It's hard for those of you that live insulated lives in the city and pick your groceries up in tidy packages to get a true sense of the level of calamity being described here. Millions of flying eating machines descend on an area and strip it clean of every living plant fiber. Let that sink in. Every living plant fiber. Not only are all grains, vegetables, and fruit decimated, but the entire actual food chain suffers as the grass, weeds, and even twigs upon which the livestock rely are gone. Take a moment to read an article or two on Locust Swarm to see why. Even in your habitat, with the benefit of pesticides and satellite imagery, many swarms are large enough to be tracked from space. These creatures are a living disaster. For the people of Joel's habitat, the military invasion of a foreign army looks a whole lot better than a locust swarm which makes the locusts too good a teaching illustration to pass up. Joel pairs this image of the critters wiping the earth clean of vegetation to my day when the world is cleansed of evil, hurt, and wrong. Once again, hyperbolic language, uh, another trait shared with Zephaniah in his look at my day, Hyperbolic language points to a cosmos-shifting event when I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. 
Newcomers may need to be reminded that every time the printed text says Day of the Lord, the Hebrew actually says the Day of Yahweh. It certainly does so here in Joel 2. So, we've got blood, fire, billows, the moon's blood. This is not a recipe of ingredients that you're supposed to be looking for to fall into place. For example, just because the moon looks red during a full lunar eclipse, there's no need to freak out every time one comes along. Those are products of physics and the refraction of sunlight through your atmosphere not once in a creation harbingers. As we mentioned with Zephaniah, this language points to a coming foundational alteration in reality. Extreme language points to the great importance of being prepared for when these things come to be. Not just when there's an eclipse on the calendar, but every day of your life. Uh, the line in Joel about the sun turning dark or a solar eclipse where the moon blocks sunlight from falling on Earth, and the moon turning red, a lunar eclipse where the Earth blocks sunlight from falling on the moon, for both of those things to happen at the same time is physically impossible. So once again, it's symbolic, people. The message is, be ready at all costs for the reality shift. Handily, in the same cataclysmic breath, Joel promises that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. Joel 2.32 Thank heavens. Literally. Joel also gives a peek at the aftermath of my day, the day of Yahweh, a glance at what the shifted reality will look like. In the new day which dawns after my day, I will change the way I interact with humanity. I will pour out my spirit on all people, actually promised a few verses earlier in Joel 2.28. All people means male, female, young, old, free, and slave. Joel sets the timing for and furthers our earlier promise through Ezekiel to give my children a new heart, one that is not torn between good and bad any longer because I will put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 11:19. In case you've forgotten, Ezekiel narrows the identity of that new spirit in his later chapters with, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Ezekiel 36, 26. Jeremiah 2 points to this all-important new dynamic brought by spirit, saying that I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts. Jeremiah 31, 31, with more on the promise of an undivided heart in 32, 38. You know you want to look those up. Yes, I have sent my spirit upon this or that prophet as we've gone along. But what Joel points to is a day when everyone has our spirit 
and thus has the same special deluxe access to me which Moses, Isaiah, and Daniel have had. No other information is given at this point, so now's not the time to try and figure out what this will look like, but I can tell you it'll be even better than in Moses' time. You won't have to wait for your landscaping to burst into flame before you can converse with me or know that I am with you. Joel's depiction of my day ends with me in Jerusalem, shaking the heavens and the earth, shifting the way things are, moving past the era of brokenness and pain into a new age where there is neither hunger nor thirst locust nor drought, when in that day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. Joel 3.16 Note a clear connection to way back in Exodus 3.8 and the land flowing with milk and honey. Like honey, wine is an agricultural product, but flows a whole lot better and is a symbol not only of provision, but also of joy, as it makes the heart glad. This final image is a key to understanding Joel's use of hyperbole earlier. As fun as it may be to imagine Cabernet Springs and homogenized streams in the new day, this is a colorful metaphor for overflowing abundance, just as the colorful moon points to a cosmic shift. Malachi is just as inventive with his metaphors describing the riot of goodness that will dawn on my day after the darkness has passed. We refer you back to our previous excerpt promising that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. The seeming randomness of the days will be gone, and evil will be replaced by only good. The darkness of pain and brokenness will be banished by healing light. It will be a time of exulting and rejoicing in the new beginning, fresher than all that have come before. Let's take a moment to unpack that word picture I just painted there. If you don't know livestock, do a search for leaping calves. The calves who've been born in winter and only know barn life leap with joy when they're released out to pasture for the first time. Not to go overboard with a simple phrase here, it's an image of joy at finally reaching one's destiny the place for which one has been designed. The barn and paddock were necessary to nurture and protect the young calf's life, but now is the time to be released into a much freer, fuller life. Malachi and Joel, and others before them, are pointing to the moment towards which the Abra plan has been moving in ebb and flow, but in overall constant crescendo. It may be taking its time, but the climax is coming. My day will come.
and the prophets are doing all they can to urgently communicate the truth on which eternity hangs. My day is a day to be ready for. Since it will come as a sudden surprise, the only way to be prepared is to live in an ongoing prepared state. Not that we are not going to give you any warning. In fact, Malachi gives a couple things to look for. Not astronomical portents or Riesling rivulets, but a person. Actually, two. I've got enough to say about both of them that I don't want to try and squeeze it in here at the end of our time together this week. So we'll end now and look forward to hearing more about who's coming before my day arrives. Until then, what did I just say? The only way to be prepared is to live in an ongoing prepared state, walking on the way. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. Use the link to the very first episode from our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's episode has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.